Welcome to Radiate Church Online. We are so excited about what God is doing here at Radiate Church in Elgin, South Carolina. If you have a story that you would want to share about the impact that God has had on your life, you can share that story at youmatter at radiatechurch.net. Also, if you'd like to give, you can give by going to radiatechurch.net or you can give to our ministry by app. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message from God. Woo, come on, somebody. Make some noise for what God's going to do in the house. We're excited about how God is moving in the house at Radiate Church. Again, we have already talked a little bit about what he's doing in the house. I just want to know if you're excited to hear what he's going to speak into your spirit today. Come on, somebody. I'm excited. If you would, go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're really going to hang out there today as we uh, break down uh, a scripture or a story over the next several weeks in our Go Big or Go Home series. And, and, and this is a really personal series for me, and I'll, I'll just be really transparent. This series right here that we're going to go through over the next several weeks um, is really personal because as I began studying this story, and as I began studying these scriptures, and I've continued to do so and, and uh, <coughs> learn more, about it, it has transformed my life in a major way. It has uh, changed the way that I lead. It has changed the way that I live. It has changed the way that I love people. It has changed the right way that I take chances and risks in life. Um, and 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 I just I love because I believe that there's some some things in this in this scripture in this story that teach us. There's some principles that if we put them in our lives, we can learn how to walk in faith and trust that God's gonna do big things with us. How many of you guys would love to do something big? with your life that's above and beyond who and what you can do by yourself. You know what I'm saying? I've never met anybody that doesn't want that. I've never met anybody that's like, nah, I'm good. I'll just do the real small things and stay back there. You know, people may say, I want to be behind the scenes, but I'd still love to be a part of something bigger than myself. And, and I'm just here to tell you that there's some principles that we can learn out of this story in 2 Kings chapter 4 that teaches us what we need to do to live by faith, and we can go big or we can go home. You know what I'm saying? And I believe sometimes God looks at us and goes, I want you to go big and quit complaining about everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, just go big and just make it happen. And uh, so I'm excited about the next several weeks as we break this thing down and look at it. Maybe, maybe in your house, you've got, you've got something like this. Does anybody have a bookshelf like this? Or maybe not look like this, but you've got a place in your house where it's got, you know, things that you need, like books and stuff like that, but it's got mementos on it, right? Like, you know, you got the, the bath towels by, by your sink in your bathroom that if you touch men, your wife will hurt you. You know what I'm saying? There's usually a place in your house where you have other things like that, too, to where when people walk in, they see it, and it looks good, and it's got everything they need or, or that you need and, and can see. So this is actually from my house, right? This is in the corner uh, of my living room right here, and um, this bookshelf is there. And this, if, if you have a child, don't buy this bookshelf. Because I have a nine-month-old, and this is a magnet for him, right? Every day, about 795 different times, I have to look at him and go, Cullen, no! Cullen, no, no, because he thinks he's a bodybuilder, so he's always grabbing one of these bad boys right here. One of these dumbbells right here, and he's trying to curl them. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, go ahead, get in shape, boy. That's what I'm talking about. In fact, we have to say it so often, he started this phrase, no, 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 no. At nine months old, I'm like, all right. I, I mean, he's learned that part. He'll look at me now, and he'll go, no, no, dad, dad. And he's got the biggest smile on his face. And I'm like, that's cute, but don't ever tell me no again. <laughs> right? you got to teach him early. 
you know. He'll say, no, no, dad, dad, because he goes to this all the time and he grabs everything that he can off of this shelf. And it's really, to be honest with you, annoying. You know what I'm saying? It's really annoying because there's things on the shelf that we don't want moved. And it's not because um, they're important. It's actually because it makes it look good. And we want to make sure that it stays in that place. You know what I'm saying? So this sits right next to our, our fireplace in our, in our house. And, um, and about two years ago, uh, we have a gas fireplace. And they got that button on it that you push and the flint sparks and it, and it ignites the fire and it gets the fire going and the gas and stuff like that. It's really cool. But our flint went out in our fireplace. So instead of getting somebody to come fix it, I was like, no, they sell lighters. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, I'm not paying that. I'll pay $3 for a big, long lighter that'll last me three years, a dollar a year, and I'm good to go, right? And so I've got this lighter, and, and I'm the only one in my house that really knows how to turn that thing on, right? I use it because it saves me on my electric bill, praise God. And so I'll use it. It heats up the whole house. But when I use it, I put the lighter on the mantle above the fireplace where I know where it's at, right? But lo and behold, every single time I put it on the mantle, it magically grows legs and moves. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And so I go back to the mantle to get the lighter, to light the fireplace. It's gone. So I look at Megan. I'm like, where's the, fire? Where's the lighter? And she says, well, it, was, it was causing clutter, and it just doesn't look good. So I moved it. And I'm like, no, that's where it needs to be because it's useful. You put it behind things that are useful, and I'll go, well, where is it then? She'll go, somewhere on the shelf. Well, we've got three kids, so it moves from the shelf all the time, right? So lo and behold, every winter, I'll go, and I, every time I go to light the fireplace, I'll go, where is the lighter? She'll tell me it's on the shelf, and I start looking everywhere. Every time, y'all, I kid you not, and I've started looking here first, and it's helped. I go behind this picture right here. And it's sitting behind the picture. And I've asked her, why do you put it behind the picture? Here's why. She goes, because it looks better back there. Yeah, but I can't find it when I need it. Right? And here's, if we're not careful, here's what we'll do in our lives. Let's say that this bookshelf is our life. We'll make sure that the bookshelf looks good, but it's not very useful to make us go forward. We'll make sure everything that we can see and get to, like this picture is from my wedding. I was like, I was uh, a lot more, uh, I was 30 pounds lighter. I was a lot dumber. Um, I didn't know what I was getting into. She's still just as hot today as she ever was. My brother is there and he's as smart as he was. Like this is there, like I want people to be proud of that, right? We got our, our, our wedding album right here that cost $9,784,000 right there. You know what I'm saying? Got books that we've read, books that have been really impactful, Habitudes, Honors, Reward. If you haven't read it, go read it. Um, how to be, Ways to Be Her Hero. Men, go read that book. Great book. Um, crazy Love. So many things on the shelf, right? Because we want people to walk in and be like, oh, they're smart. And they're married. And it's all in order. But how many of you know often when you look behind the picture frame, and you look behind the stack of books, there's usually things piled up back there, like, uh, like a pencil just sitting back behind it. It's like, oh, I need that. Oh, it's behind the books. Why? Because I don't want you to see the, the useful things because they, they aren't as pretty as the unuseful things. And if we're not careful, we will build our lives to look really good to everybody else. But whenever we need something useful in our lives, we have no idea it's there anymore. 
because it's hidden behind everything else. Like, I, I, that's why there's 7,000 filters on Instagram. I got to swipe right and swipe left before I ever post a picture because I got to look good even though that's not what I really look like. How many times do people look at the shelf of our life and it's not even what we really look like? It's not even who we really are. It just looks good to everybody else and the useful things are hidden behind it and we get, and because it's hidden behind it, we forget what God wants to use in our lives because it's behind everything else that we're trying to please you with. Anybody there today? And if we're not careful, this, this can be a great example of our lives. And I want to read 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 today because I'm just wild enough to believe that the Bible has something really powerful to say about this stuff. And there's a few things, there's several weeks worth of study that we're going to dig deep and dive deep into this and figure out what does it look like, what does it mean for me to walk in faith with God. Can I tell you something? God doesn't want you to just pray a prayer and survive in life. God wants you to pray a prayer, surrender your life, and walk by faith and do great things with your life. Not just walk around and be there and exist and take up air and space. He wants you to do something and do something big for the kingdom of God. And I'm just here to tell you that I'm crazy enough to think that there's some things in this word right here that we need to apply so that we can do that. And so I want to read 2 Kings chapter 4. Verses 1 through 7 with you today, as this will be the basis of the next several weeks. It says this, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And he said, and she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, go, borrow vessels at large for yourself and from all your neighbors. Even empty vessels do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more, and the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Father, I pray that you take these words. They wouldn't just be black and white words that mean nothing, but they would be practical things that we can apply to our lives so that we can live in full surrender to you and in faith with you. And God, I just pray that you would let us walk out of here today with an inventory of what's in the house, what's in us that you want to do something through us with. God, we believe you and we trust you. Take us where you want us to go and teach us what you want us to know. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to title the message this, what's in your house? It's the most important question you can ask yourself today. What's in your house? I want it to be known. There's a few things that I want to kind of point out in the first two verses of this chapter. The first two verses is she's coming to him and, and she's in a hard situation, right? She's, and I want you to understand culture in that day, women had no value except for the man that they married. They weren't worth anything, they couldn't work, they couldn't hold a job, they couldn't do anything, right? And so her husband has now died, and somehow Elisha knew who her husband was. He has he now passed away, so she, her value is gone. She has no value in culture and society in that day. The creditor has come and said, you owe me this amount of money. She sold everything she has, and she looks at, it at Elisha and says, now he's come, and he says, I will take your kids as slaves. I will sell them, and what I make off of them, I will put towards your debt. 
And she's like, no, 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 I can't lose my family. I've lost my husband. I can't lose my kids. I can't lose everything else I've got. Elisha, I need your help. And I think it's really important that we need to find out and look into this and and understand she went to a man of God to get direction on what to do. Listen to me. I need you to hear this. This is one of the greatest things I've ever learned in my entire life. In order to go, go to new levels, I've got to have new voices. Many times, the reason that I'm spinning my wheels in the same predicament, in the same situation, in the same season I've always been in, is because I'm allowing the same voices to speak into my life, and nobody that challenges me is in my life. Everybody that comforts me is. And as long as I sit in a place to where I'm constantly comforted, and I get offended when somebody challenges me, then the problem is, is I don't know how to go forward. I had somebody tell me this one time. They said, every, usually, every new season requires a new voice. you got to seek out people that are where you want to go, where you know that you can go. That is why in my personal life, I will do what i got to do to go sit at the feet of people and learn from them. And I'll, I'll, I'll go fly. I've flown to Virginia before to have two hours with a guy that is where I feel like we need to go, and I just wanted to ask him questions. I've gone to Tennessee and bought lunch with a guy for a day just so that I could sit down and ask questions and learn. I've driven down to Alabama to sit under people that I just met because they were where I want to go. Because here's what I know. If I ever want to get to where I feel like God's taking me, I've got to have a voice look at me and call things out of me that I don't see in myself. You ever heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees? Here's why, because you're so close to the situation that all you see is what's right in front of you. You can't see the entire thing. Uh, We call it in the leadership world, everybody has a blind spot. But often you need somebody from the outside to come in and call a blind spot out. However, we've created this moment, this society and leadership in our world today to where we get offended anytime anybody calls anything out. Which is why we continue sitting in our same laziness our same offense, our same bitterness, and we never achieve what God's put in us because we, do, we get offended rather than motivated. Is anybody with me in the house today? And if I never move past the state of offense into the state of motivation, if nobody can ever tell me anything, I have now become my own God. And nobody can tell me anything. You can't tell me how to love my wife. Don't tell me that. There's people that I watch and they tell me how to love my wife better without ever saying a word. Just by watching their marriage. See, the thing is, many of us are stuck in the same season because we're stuck with the same voices. And I just want to tell you today, if you'll change your voices in your life, most times you will change the season that you're walking in. Mentors are meant to help you figure out how to get somewhere. So many of us need to chase mentors, but I'm going to tell you something that's missing in our generation, in our society today, as we follow Christ as as spiritual believers. Are you with me today? I just want to go into this. We're missing spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Many of us are spiritual orphans, and we're trying to follow God with everything we have, yet we have never learned how to surrender to a voice that challenges us. What's the difference in a mentor and a father? A mentor helps you get to where you need to go. A father anchors you to who you are. A father looks at you and anchors you to your purpose, anchors you to your character, ensures that you can sustain success when you get there. He looks at you when you get a big head and success comes your way and go, no, 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 no. Don't think too highly of yourself. Remember where it all came from. 
There's a difference in a mentor and a father. And hear this, listen to me. Many people, and I was in this until I began really experiencing and, and, and diving down into this to where if, I, if he wants to be a father in my life, he needs to chase me. No, fathers don't chase sons. Ch sons chase fathers. Sons go and do what they got to do to spend time with the father. They go and spend time with the spiritual father that God's put in their life and go, hey, feed me, teach me, anchor me to me, myself. Ask me questions that challenge me. Ask me questions that make me uncomfortable because that's how I get better. And difference in a mentor. Mentor helps you get there. A father anchors you to who you are before you get there and while you're there. Fathers won't change mentor's will. Fathers are there. And here's the issue. Listen to me. Here's, I'm just telling you, like, this changed my life as I'm learning this. I haven't learned it. I'm learning this. What changed my life is to understand that if I will surrender my life and listen to voices, I will go further with them than I could without them. Because they know God uses voices. She looked at Elisha and she said, Elisha, this is the problem I'm in. I need you to show me how to get out of this. Why? Because God ordained him as a voice in her life for that season. And many of us, we'd rather treat voices in our life like, hey, bud, what's going on? Rather than, hey, I need you to speak direction into my life. Listen, you'll get from someone. We talked about this in Full Life one day. You'll receive what you perceive from somebody. Come on. The woman at the well, she was talking to Jesus. She met Jesus. She asked him who he was. Jesus looks at her and goes, who do you perceive me as? She said to him, I perceive you as a prophet. He looks at her and goes, okay, then I'll operate in the prophetic. And so now you've had husbands in your life, but the one you're with right now is not even your husband. She, he begins to speak into something in the prophetic. In other words, she perceived him as a prophet, so he operated as a prophet. How many times is there voices in our lives, but we perceive them as a friend and that's it. So therefore they can't operate in the gift that they were called to operate in. Come on, somebody. I'd rather you be my boy than be a voice that helps me. Listen, I'm going to tell you this for, as your pastor, I will never be able to operate as a voice of pastorship in your life. As long as you only see me as a friend. I'm not here to be Brandon. I'm here to start a move of God that God works through to do something to reach people from the kingdom and to reach down into some people and pull something out of them. You know what I'm saying? And you will receive what you perceive. That's kingdom principle. And so as long as we look at our authority and go, oh, you're just here to tell me what to do. Yeah, that's what you're going to get. It's just somebody that puts rules and regulations over you. But if you receive or perceive authority as somebody that directs and guides and helps you get to a better place in your life, then you'll receive that. Do you follow me? Mentorship and fathership. It's far. She looked at Elisha and she said, you knew my husband. I need you to speak something into my life that brings out something I never knew before so that I can move forward from this. How many times have we looked at people and said, I need you to be a voice in my life to help me move forward, not just stay where I'm at? Now, here's the thing. We'll sit in a place often. We'll sit in a place to where for two weeks we'll carry the weight of an opinion somebody gave us on social media. But we'll get offended when somebody tries to challenge us to move forward to get better. Are you with me? I'll be offended so, by them so I can't hear from you. I'll be offended that they think my hair don't look good today. I don't know. But then when you try to tell me how to be a better leader, I'll get mad at you because I'm really mad at them, but I'm going to project it onto you because I don't perceive you as anybody in my life other than my boy. Come on. This is good. 
And as I learn this, it's changing my life because now I can look and go, it's not personal. When, when my mentors and my spiritual fathers in my life call me out, I realize they're not calling me out, they're calling me up. And they're looking at me, and they're not looking at me and going, I don't like who you are. They're looking at me and going, I see more in you. One of my mentors looked at me one time, and I've told our staff this. He looked at me, and he said, when I stop calling things out of you is when you need to worry. Because I no longer see more in you. Because you're not willing to unlock it. And I was like, man, that's powerful right there. I've looked at my staff, and I said, when I stop getting on you, that's when you need to start to worry because you hadn't listened to anything I've said in the past, and now I have no use to call things out of you because you won't do what I told you to do 30 times ago. Are you following me? Voices call things out of us. And so she looked at Elisha. She said, I need your voice. I need your direction. I need you to help me here. And then Elisha's response, it's a really odd question if you think about it on the surface. He looks at her, and he says this, what's in your house? What's in your house? What kind of answer is that? Like, you know, I'll ask my mentors and, and, and voices in my life sometimes a question, and they'll ask me a question back, and I'm like, dude, that's the weirdest thing that you could ask. That's not what I was looking for, right? You ever ask somebody a question, and you look at them and go, okay, that doesn't help me a bit. I could just hear the woman going, that ain't nothing to me. Like, I don't know, like, what kind of question is that, right, in her brain? What's in your house? But I think it's a really important question because often we need to take inventory of what's on the shelf of our life because often the things that God wants to use is pushed behind the things that impresses everybody else. We want everybody to be impressed, but the things that God wants to use in our lives, we try to suppress and we push behind something else. And, and I want to leave you, I want to give you this thought today that where you are, listen to me, where you are is preparing you for where you're going. Where you are is preparing you for where you're going. I want to, as that's on the screen and we're talking about that point, I want you to think about this. Jesus did three years of incredible ministry. Even historians that don't believe in the gospel know that Jesus did amazing things the three years that he did ministry, right? But what we want to throw away is it took him 30 years to get prepared for it. And we want God to look at us and go, give me 30 years of powerful ministry with three months of preparation. Think about this. Jesus' ministry was a tithe, a 10% of his preparation. Think about that. It took him 30 years to get prepared for three years of ministry. God, don't prepare me for that. I just want the platform. And often what we do is if we get that out of whack and we forget that, we're not prepared for the platform we're about to step on and it crushes us because we don't have the character to sustain the success. And we're sitting back going, God, I want this. And God's going, I want it for you. But the season you're in, you're not stewarding to prepare yourself for what I've got for you. And so if I give it to you out of season, it will kill you. You've got to operate in a seasonal format to where you are right now to be prepared for what I got for you later. And we want to look at God and go, get me out of this season. And God, I don't think God leaves us in a season because he's punishing us. I think he leaves us in a season because he's preparing us. And often we will complain about the preparation and beg for the ministry. But if we got to the ministry side of it or the blessing side of it, we'd be dead when we got there because we don't know what we possess today. Often what you have in your current season is there to get you to your next season. But it's pushed behind everything else on the shelf of life. It's pushed behind everything else that looks good. And I, I'm reminded when I think about this, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. 
I, I was, you know, I had a, a, a mentor and a, a voice in my life at the time that, that said this. When we started Radiate Church, like, he sent me this all the time, and, it, and, and he just sent me the beginning of it. For who despise the days of small things? In other words, don't despise the days of small beginnings. He sent me that because in, at Radiate Church, I was mad. Because when we started, we had six people off the rip. Six people, two of which were under the age of six months old. I don't know if you realize this or not, but they can't even tell you if you're preaching good. They don't tithe, and they don't serve. They're just there, drooling and pooping, and that's it. So when we started, we had six people, two of which drooled and pooped the entire time. But then other people started coming. We launched after three months, four months of of small groups and, and casting vision and preparing people. We launched with 96 people that day. And I was sitting under people that were like, you need three, four, five hundred people at your launch day. And I'm like, um, yeah, we didn't do that, you know. And I was so good. As a pastor at that time, we grew from 96 to 35 within four weeks, man. So good at what I did, right? So powerful. And I just knew, man, I was frustrated. We went two and a half years, and we never broke 85 to 100 people, non-holiday attendance. Like, man, I was crushed. I was so frustrated. Because here's what I knew in my heart. I know what God's called us to do. But I knew that if I build it, they will, they will come, right? I knew within a month, I'm an anointed man of God. I'm a good preacher. I'm okay at leading. I'm good with talking to people. I'm okay with that. I knew 10,000 people would be there within the first six months. Right? We'd build a gigantic building that sat them all within the first year. I'd be on TBN and the New York bestsellers list. Like I, I just knew it because I knew what I was called to do. And I knew that was what was going to happen, Mark. I knew it. And this guy, this voice in my life kept sending me this passage. And he'd always reference Zechariah 4.10. And he'd always say, don't despise small beginnings. And I'm sitting there going, I'm starting to despise you. Because it made me mad. You ever been to that place? Where it's like, this ain't working out quite like I thought it would. But when I realized that often God puts us through seasons of preparation so that we can go through seasons of miraculous breakthrough, I begin to see things a little bit differently. Here's why you shouldn't uh, 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 despise small beginnings. Go, go with me to Luke 16.10. Look at this. Luke 16.10 it says this, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in what? Much. In other words, here's what Luke 16.10, as that stays on the screen, he's saying this. Don't despise the small season that you feel like you're in. Because the way you steward it now determines how you walk into the next one. If I can't trust you with the little bit I've given you right now, I can't trust you with the lot of bit that I got for you later. Because if you're unrighteous with what I have in you in this season, you'll be unrighteous with what I'm giving you in the next. Which is often why we'll see people that seem to be faithful on the outside in one season, they get success and crash and burn. It's because they were really had, had the faithfulness pushed to the back. It just looked like everything was all together. And we weren't stewarding it well. We had forgotten. It's the law of familiarity. We were too familiar with what we had in our season. Stop begging God for the next season if I'm not using the tools that he's put in the current one. Listen, listen. I'm not being mean. This is, this is me. This is me. 
I know what God has called Radiate Church to do. I know what God has called me to do. I know where this thing's going. And sometimes it's hard for me to go, i got to be faithful in this season right now. I know what my kids are going to do. I know my kids are going to be powerful men and women of God that are going to change this world. It's hard for me not to hold them to that standard now. At four years old, five years old, seven years old, nine months old, I want to look at my son who's saying, no, no, dad, dad, and go, preach the word, boy, let's go. <laughs> Declare his promises. Listen, it's stewarding the current season you're in because if you push forward too fast without learning to handle what you currently have, it'll destroy you later. 30 years of prep, three years of ministry. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? Listen, let me give you this, this, this thought and then I'm going to move into her answer. It's this. If you won't trust God with what you have, He can't give you what you need. Because if He gives you what you need, but He can't trust you with what you have, what you need may send you down a path that will break you later. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to grow and steward and learn and be better than we've ever been before. If you won't trust God with what you have, he can't give you what you need. Let me go to her answer real quick. He said, what's in the house? What's in your house? And I can just see in the story, I'm a visual guy, so I like to think through it. And I see in the story, she's kind of starting to go through things. And she looks at him and she says, I've got nothing left in the house. I've sold everything that I own to pay off this creditor. Except... Behind something that looks good, I've got this one little jar of oil. This one little flask. And if you read it and you understand it, then the flask or the jar was not enough to even cook with. And so what that leads me to believe is that oil is equal to the anointing of God in the Bible. And she had just enough to anoint her situation. But she had forgotten about it. She was so familiar with it sitting on the shelf that she forgot it was there. When I was cleaning off our, uh, this shelf and moving it and getting things ready to come here today, I looked at this picture and, and, and I found things on the shelf that I didn't even know were on the shelf. Because it just sits in the corner and I'm so familiar with it, I barely look at it. And I moved this picture right here and all of a sudden I was reminded of some things, right? I was reminded that I was so cool, calm, and collected on my wedding day that I fell asleep in a recliner in the green room behind the stage before I walked on. Ten minutes before the, mess, before the wedding, my dad walks by there and goes, hey, uh, Brandon, you might want to wake up. You're about to get married. True story. I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. Right? Because I knew. Look at her. Who wouldn't be excited to marry her? She was great. I was excited. But I wasn't nervous, right? I remembered that story. I remember my mom in this had just come through breast cancer, radiation, and chemo. Right after that, I started thinking about that. I remembered my dad, how proud he was the day that I told him I got engaged. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, Brandon, I've worried a lot about you over your life. He said, but I've never known somebody that would fit more perfectly in our family than her I'm so proud to call her daughter one day and I was like that's awesome 
I was reminded as I'm standing there uh, uh, crying because my wife is singing a song, her, a song to me at, at our wedding. And I'm like, okay, you're trying to do this and embarrass me, right? And I'm crying, and as I look over, I see my brother standing two people down as one of my best men crying as well. And my brother, my older brother, who doesn't ever shed a tear for anything, right? Why? Because I actually paid attention to it. How often are there things in our lives that we're so familiar with that we don't even know what God's trying to do through it? Did you know that in your, in your, the Bible tells us that in your tongue you have the power of life and death? You have the power to build up or destroy. You have the power to create or destruct. Did you know that? However, most of us don't understand that. We're so familiar with our words and our mouth and our thoughts and our opinions. And we think everybody needs to live by our thoughts and our convictions and our opinions. Then we throw things out that tear people down and we forget that we actually have words that can build people up. I'm convinced half the situations we live through, we create with our words. You know why your husband or wife don't love you anymore? Because you constantly tell them they don't. You know why your kids are disrespectful? Because you look at them and tell them, you're disrespectful. That's all you are. All you ever do is be disrespectful to me. And you've created that life in their life. I have the power. Listen to me. You're sitting there going, oh, this is name and acclaim it. No, it's not. It's Bible. The Bible tells me I have the power to create and destroy life and death in my tongue. If I don't steward it well in this season, it may destroy my next. What am I so familiar with in my life that I don't understand the power that it has. She goes, oh, I got this, this flask, this jar of oil. I forgot about it, but that's all I got, Elisha. And we'll talk more about this and break this down later, but at the end of the story, you see where this pours into jar, jars over and over and over and over again. Why? because it doesn't matter how small it is when the presence of God is in it it expands to what he wants it to be so that he can accomplish what he needs to accomplish in and through you to reach other people in your current season in your next season to get you where you need to go to get to do what he needs to do I need to tell you something you may have walked in feeling like your situation in your life was meaningless and small but there's nothing God can't touch and expand ever this right here oh but i'm hurt and i'm going through this and i'm going through that and i understand the pain but i'm telling you if you'll turn that pain over to god he'll touch it and he'll expand it to forgiveness that you only thought possible i wish my marriage was that turn it over to god and watch what he does i wish my kids were that way turn it over to god and watch what he does put it in a flask and watch god touch it watch the presence expand it more than you ever thought possible See, i got in this jar of oil this is all i got she follows the word and great things begin to take place. I want to ask you today, what's in your house? What's in your house that you're too familiar with? Maybe you're going, I'm too familiar with my spouse being a roommate that I don't even treat them like a spouse anymore. Fall back in love again. Maybe it's, I'm too familiar uh, with my church and I don't serve my church because I, I just go and enjoy it and it's great and it's awesome, but I'm so familiar, I don't see what God's actually doing in it. Then celebrate what God's doing and get involved. I'm too familiar with this. I'm too familiar, I'm too familiar with my words. And God, I've only got, listen, God, I've only got two employees under me that I lead. You promised me I would climb the corporate ladder. Yeah, maybe that's dependent on how I love and lead the two employees I got. Because what if he can't trust me with 20 because I'm tearing down two? Are you with me today? 
What's in your house? Because I'm here to tell you this. What's in you is enough for God to do something massive through you. It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how forgotten it is. If we'll pull it out from behind the things that we're putting in front of us, God will always expand it to do something bigger than we could do by ourselves. Every single time. What's in your house? What's in your house? I want to give you this thought. What if we spend more time begging God for promises he's already told us that we could have than we do trying to get in touch with him? I believe, I'm learning this, I believe we need to stop begging God for things he's already told us we could have. Like, we'll pray this prayer, and it's a ridiculous prayer. And I know what it means, but it's a ridiculous, God filled this place. He already has. It's in his word that he's everywhere all the time. God, we're waiting on you to move. No, you're not. Before the world was created in Genesis, it says, and he was hovering above the void. That means he's been moving, he's always moving, and he's never stopped moving. You're not waiting on him to move. He's waiting on you to move. We're praying these prayers. We're going, God, I just wish you would save and bring people to the kingdom of God through salvation in my county. He's already promised that. We don't need to pray that he'd save people's souls. We need to pray that their soul would be receptive to his salvation. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference when he promises us something. It says the, in, in Hebrews 13, it says he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when he promised you something 10 years ago, he went before you a thousand years and made it happen. And I don't have to beg him to do it because he's already done it. I just got to be obedient enough to listen to the voices to get there and take inventory to go, what do I need to give to you so that you can expand it to do what you need to do through me? Are you with me today? Don't walk out of here going, Pastor told me not to pray anymore. No, I'm not. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, use your prayers to declare his promises. Use your prayers to hear his voice and to hear what he's teaching us, not just beg him for things he's already told us would happen. Now we can go, hey God, will you show me what I need to do to make this pro promise happen? What, what's in your house? And my prayer today is this, I've been praying this all week, that we would take inventory and there would come a point today, today, before we go to bed, to where we begin to see things that are in us that we've forgotten about, that God wants to use to do something through us in a greater way than we've ever thought possible. So if you would, just bow your heads with me today, because I just want to pray over you. I want to pray God's blessing. I want to pray that we would walk out of here realizing things that are in us that we've forgotten about, but that we would surrender them and submit them to God first and foremost. So if you're in the room today and you say this, Pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never given him my heart. I've never surrendered to the salvation of Jesus Christ from the cross. And today I want to do that. I want to pray salvation into my life. I want to start a new life with Jesus. It's not about perfection. It's about surrender. And, and I just want to give him everything I have. If that's you in this room, would you hold your hand up high today so that I can pray salvation into your life with you? Come on. Amen. What you're going to feel right now, with your hand up, hand up, keep it up if you're praying salvation. Somebody's going to put a clipboard in your hand because we want to walk this journey with you and we want to know who you are so that we can do that. And here's what's about to happen. 
what's about to happen is we're going to pray together as a family. God's salvation in the life because we got three people that are walking into a new life, walking into the family of God today because they heard about a Jesus that loves them and a God that cares. Come on, let's pray this together, all together out loud. Dear Jesus, we accept your life. Thank you for dying for me. Come on. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for bridging the gap between me and the Father. Help me walk daily with you. I give you my life. I give you my soul. I don't claim to be perfect, but I will surrender to you. Hold my hand and teach me. Thank you for loving me and thank you for welcoming me into the family of God. Congratulations, there's three people that just walked into the family of God this morning. (laughs) Now, if you're in the room with eyes closed one more time, and you'd say this, I need to take inventory of what God's doing in me. And I want to submit it to Him and let Him do something great in me and through me. If that's you, would you hold your hand up and join the several, a couple hundred people in the first service that did the same thing. Would you hold your hand up high and just keep holding it up because we want to pray over you today. I'm going to hold my hand up in some symbolic gesture to say it's time. Father, right now, every hand that is raised, I pray in this moment, in this day, God, that you would move in us, that you would ask us the question, what's in our house, that we would take an accurate inventory, and God, we'd submit to you everything we have so that you can expand it, you can increase it, you can anoint it, and great and mighty things can take place in and through us as we go throughout this day. God, I pray that it would be so visible that the way that we live would change, that the way we invite people to church would change, the way we pray would change, because everything we do is now surrendered to you, God. Everything that we've pushed to the back, use it, God. Expand it, because we're ready to see you do some amazing things. What's in our house? God, we answer that question by saying, show us, and we'll do what we got to do. Father, we honor you and praise you, and if you believe God's doing something great in this room and in this house, would you make some noise? Come on, make some noise this morning and celebrate.